0: Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Grief Recovery Now podcast. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for this episode and every episode of Grief Recovery Now. So happy you're here today. I get so enthusiastic. I record usually on Tuesday and Wednesdays at two o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and I just get so enthusiastic about just being here for all of you listeners. And also I get the opportunity, it's like going on a field trip. Remember when you were a kid and no matter where you are in the world, maybe you didn't call it field trip, but we would go to different destinations, a museum or whatever, and explore them and get to learn about them. Well, that's what I feel about my guests when I am doing a podcast. I go on a little field trip in someone's life. And what we talk about here is grief recovery now. And so the recovery part, of it, which I am so enthusiastic about and what I dedicate my life to, part of my life to. So a welcome wherever you are. This is a come as you are podcast, wherever you are underneath the covers and grief, you have some losses going on, maybe some experiences in your life that is some form of loss. There is like 40 plus reasons or experiences that you can have the experience of grief. And so we want to explore them all. And one of the things uh, why I started Grief Recovery Now podcast is grief is not just about death. Grief is uh, many things, even losing secondary relationships, divorce, even nowadays gaslighting. Look that up. I don't have time to talk to you about people who ghost people with dating, um, extreme loss of identity, job loss, sudden changes in your life. So we explore that. So. To start our podcast, I started a segment, it's called Off the Cup with Charlene. So let's start with that today. Have any of you heard of a series called The Moth? It's a storytelling organization where people talk about funny things, serious things, life happenings, insights, and again, a group of people who talk about their lives and experiences in such a way, I'm always so riveted. Well, this morning while I was having breakfast, I decided, you know, I got a little lost in social media and I saw this person who's talking about her divorce. She was married for 10 years and she was married in LA and then she had moved to New York and she was going through a divorce and she wanted to just mediate, but her husband said, no, I wanna go to court. They didn't have a lot of money or things, mind you. But for some reason, he wanted to do the whole shebang on the divorce where they show up in court. So what does she do? She's getting ready in New York, packing for her trip. But most importantly, she wanted to find the right outfit. So here's her packing stuff, right? But then here is a big pile of clothes of wanting to be perfect. She must have changed her clothes 10 times. Did she want to look sexy? She tried outfits because her husband at the time, who met someone 10 years younger, and you got it, blonde, nothing against blondes or anything like that, blonde, taller than her, skinny, and a model. So she wanted to look really good so he could see what he was missing with her, right? So she's getting ready. Then she decided... The final outfit, and I won't get into the whole story, on something that was just her, something that was where she felt attractive and she wanted him to notice him. And again, to help him remember why he loved her before. So she gets on a plane and she goes to the courthouse. She's nervous. She wants this. She remembers them in Scotland when they got married, that they were going down the aisle. And the look on his face when he saw her, and the love that she saw through his eyes by looking at her walking down the aisles. And she talked before I talk about the divorce, she talked about they were married for 10 years. And when they met, he had cancer. So she met him, he was bald, going through treatment. She had just lost her mother through cancer. So they bonded that way. And what she realized when she accepted the divorce happenings, she realized they love each other, but they loved each other in the wrong way for a marriage to last. So she had that insight. So she goes to the courthouse, she's walking, she picked up a pair of beige shoes, high heels. And if you're ever been in a courthouse, you know, everything is marble, right? So she's walking down the hall. She wanted to be the first one to see her husband who she's gonna go to court to divorce. And all they heard was this clicking on this marble floor. He looks for a nanosecond and he just turned his head. They go in the courtroom and she just wanted to have that eye to eye contact with him, but didn't get it in the hallway. They go in the courthouse. She's on one side of the court, the right side. He's on the left. And through that whole proceeding, she was trying to shift around so he can somehow look at her. And to just be eye to eye. And maybe she could just show a little frown saying, I'm sad that this is happening. But now one second did he turn to look at her. And she felt she lost something. When it ended, she left the courthouse. And what she realized is she just wanted that moment with him. That little sadness that this is happening. And she never had the chance to do it. To just say goodbye with their eyes she wasn't even looking to speak with him. So when she left, she realized that the reason why she wanted to just have a look and have a little frown at her lips is because she wanted to know that she mattered and that the relationship mattered and that didn't happen. So that was her loss. So when I talk about grief, that there's all types of grief. This was a loss. She was waiting for something to happen. So she had her idea of some kind of closure with the relationship with someone that she one time loved and still loved in some ways. And it didn't happen. So she talked about having to grieve that. And just to let you know, two years later, she was having a baby and she was looking and she was home. She was at her last couple months of the childhood. She was in bed. She's going through a magazine. And what does she see? She sees a yogurt commercial with a blonde on a bike. And she was like, oh, my God, that's the woman, my girlfriend of my ex-husband. And so that's what brought up this story for her and why she wanted to share at this mo- the moth. So that meant a lot to me today. I was like, you know, that's another form of grief, expectations of having some kind of closure we think we want with someone we have that loss with. And that's why I do the grief recovery method is because we're, we don't always have that opportunity. And that's what the method is all about. We give you opportunity to have some closure and completeness, not so much closure on the relationship, but a feeling of complete and a resolve. I know I healed somehow through this story of some loss, some incomplete loss, so I hope it helps you today. So thank you for listening. And listeners, I just want you to know how important you are to me. And everything I do and say on the podcast can bring, it's all because of you. And it helps me too. So this is our portion, my favorite portion of the podcast, and that's introducing our guest. Our guest, Scott Chesney, is a world-renowned motivational speaker And the life coach who has presented to over 1.5 million people in 40 countries. Known as the commander in change by his clients, Scott is a navigator of life with paralysis for nearly 35 years after awakening to paralysis at the age of 15 from a sudden spinal stroke. Scott has amassed a resume of transformational experiences, powerful insights and inspiring stories that cut to the core of the human spirit. He has become a nationally and internationally recognized workshop and keynote speaker and his positive and inspiring messages have changed countless lives. His insights have been coveted and applauded by the United Nations, the Pentagon, the FBI, Fortune 500 corporations, sports teams, hospitals, rehab centers, associations, and K through 12 schools. Recently, Scott has joined Onward, a medical technology company developing and commercializing innovative therapies to enable functional recovery for people with spinal cord injury as a consultant. In addition, Scott is an ambassador for the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation, a member of the Seton Hall University Leadership Advisory Council, a member of the Board of Trustees for the Knowles Foundation, and a member of the National Speakers Association NSA. In April 2020, a documentary about Scott's life entitled Ride the Wave was released worldwide. Scott is married, has two children, and resides in New Jersey. Welcome, Scott. I'm so excited that you're
1: here. Hey, Charlene. Uh, I'm all excited. I wanted to make sure that you received my permission slip if we're going on this class trip today. Because <laughs> I, I love class trips, I, I want to make sure that you got my permission slip. Because I'm all about the journey.
0: Oh, it must have got lost in the mail, but I know it's okay. A Verbal <laughs> permission works here on this uh, field trip. So glad I you're love here. It.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a joy to be with you. And thank you for sharing that story before. Um, you know, it's interesting. The first thing that came up for me is so many times we look for another person to give us that closure. Whereas that, you mentioned the word expectation, that's like that's like trying to control someone else. And while, yeah, that would have been great if he looked over and gave her that, that look that she was seeking, we, we have to, which is a never ending journey. We have to find that closure within ourselves and uh not look for that to be done with another person that would be the ideal but that doesn't always happen <laughs> but thank you no i'm i'm that was a wonderful story wonderful oh i'm
0: story. glad i told it right and you know why i like to watch those moth series and people are listeners listen to it it's moth m o t h the moth and just put storyteller is because Sometimes we miss those little nuances, the click on the floor, the doorknob you're opening because we talk I talk about legacy. I know I'm getting older in life and I was like if I ever wrote about my legacy, you it would be great to remember those little things like when you open the door, what was the doorknob like? What was the door like? What color was it? And even your own experiences I know myself, I can only speak for myself. It's like we want to whitewash and just bulldoze over or do a bypass on certain experiences you may remember. Know your story. Don't go down the rabbit hole with it. But sometimes you maybe help someone else with your story. A lot of you know that I'm in recovery. I used to go to I still do, to 12- step meetings because I want to be of service. But back then, I didn't even I couldn't even identify my feelings at that time. And people who do grief groups, people can sometimes bring in their own experience up and I'll go, oh, my God, I felt that way, too. I could never identify it or put into words. So your story matters. And I hope why we're here and I know Scott's the same way. We want you to have a happy ending. Do your work. Save your story. I mean, you could talk about it a little bit, but let's make it have some meaning.
1: Yeah. And and that's what connects us all, I think, is we all have a story. We all have a unique story. If you think about this, if we took the time not only to share our story, but to listen to the story of others, I think we would find more that we have in common rather than what we have that's different and also get into something that I think connects us all, and you're touching upon it with everything you say is our vulnerabilities I think when we can really show how vulnerable we are and we all have our vulnerabilities is that that really connects us that allows us to say hmm, you know what yeah I can relate or I had something similar happen A- and grief is one of those um entry ways I absolutely believe to our vulnerabilities and so I'm so glad to be here with you, and I'm so glad that you're addressing this topic to the depths that you are.
0: Mm, Thank you very much. All right. So you know what we talked about before the podcast recording is like what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Just share your experience, strength, and hope. And we know that you had a stroke at 15 and the journey that followed that. And then let's talk a little bit about your childhood before that happened. What were you like?
1: Yeah, I, I was, uh, I'm laughing here because I was just talking to my wife about it. And our son is a lot like me. Like almost like a man of mystery in a way, and a, a little sneaky, but I such such a kind-hearted person uh, wanting to help others. I, I will say this though, my, my life was all about movement, Charlie, and to a degree it still is with paralysis, but I was just into everything. I love sports. I love playing sports. I loved watching sports. It was very difficult to get me to sit down and read a book. That's why I probably was an above average student, but never an excellent student because I just, you, you couldn't keep me contained in like a classroom chair, nor can you keep me contained in a wheelchair right now. I mean, I'm doing as much as I can, but, you know, I had an amazing childhood and one that was just full of wonder and full of exploration and trials and tribulations.
0: And before the accident or not accident, but the stroke. stroke, yeah. if when you look back, what were you like? And how did you change from the before and after?
1: Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's a great question because while paralysis upended my life and everything, I really continued on the same path. So you mentioned I was 15 and I always think like, what's a 15 year old boy getting ready to do is like step into his manhood. And in so many ways, whether it be my, my physical appearance and just like hitting puberty later, just going through a lot of things that kids go through is that I was so full of uncertainty. They're so scared on so many levels. I talk now to a, a lot of students in those middle school and high school ages and talking about the importance of self-esteem, like how you look into that mirror, how you see yourself. And what was interesting is like on paper, I mean, everyone would have said, you know what, I'll take Scott's life, but deep down inside, I, I was struggling. I didn't like that mirror reflection. I didn't like the words that I used to describe myself. And so paralysis enters my life. And that almost like gave me a little bit of a reprieve in a way, a little bit of a pause and everything that was going on in my life but once i kind of got back into life and through real rehabilitation and learning what it was like to live life from a wheelchair is that i realized that all of those issues still were there waiting for me and so i realized that you know what we we have this imaginary backpack behind us and when we don't want to deal with something we quickly can throw it in there we can use humor we can use diversion we can use just speeding up our lives whatever it may be But we put all that stuff in our imaginary backpack and I I believe that it weighs us down to a certain degree. And I I can't say even when I hope it's when for everybody, but could be if for some people we ever get around to opening up that backpack, there will be a time that we can release that, that we can um, address it. And as you put so eloquently in all the work that you do is that there's never a wrong time to grieve over something that's happened in the past. And so I realized more than ever is that my backpack was really like weighing me down and I needed to find out what was going on with Scott before paralysis, what was going on with Scott, when paralysis hit, and what was going on with paralysis now in my life. So, and and again, the, is the backpack totally empty? No. And it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's lighter than ever before, but it's also, it's there. And I know in many ways that it's a protective mechanism too. And it serves us. It's full of security. It's like that comfort zone. So if you, you everyone's heard of the comfort zone, I, I think our backpack is part of that lining that we have with our comfort zone. But it's something again that we can look into and examine whenever we want in our lives.
0: Yeah, when it comes up, we're either yeah. pushed by pain or- by a vision. And a lot of time that push by pain helps us get to that pool when we a vision does appear. And you can't get there until you look at what's the snapshot of the moment. Let me ask you, and these I'm asking you this because we may have some people going through some health challenges. Yep. And the moment, like you were a kid who was active in sports and moving around. And I know myself, I never heard of a spinal stroke. Can you talk a little bit about what happened just so people could not to dwell on, I like to hear what happened exactly. And what
1: is it? Absolutely. So I was born in 1970. And what they said is that they did an MRI on me when I was born, you would have detected that there was a malformation of blood vessels, but obviously in 1970, there were no MRIs and I was a healthy baby. So there was no need to do anything, but We all have a lot of malformations that are in our body that never manifest, but mine uh, manifested when I was 15. So it was a malformation of blood vessels, but it was almost like a, a sleeping volcano that could have erupted when I was born, could have erupted at age 10, could have erupted at age 50 or never, but it was just my time. There was no accident, no injury, no trauma. It just was my time. So the blood vessels burst and bled and almost put pressure on that part of the spinal cord that controls uh, the movement in your legs and left me a paraplegic. So um, there was nothing. So I woke up to a numb big toe, like when your foot falls asleep. And then 48 hours later, that numbness went up one leg, went up a second leg and left me paralyzed from about my belly button down to my toes, unable to move and unable to feel normally. So in a way, I meant it was like, wow, how awful this is to have this happen to anyone at any time. But I also pretty quickly moved to a place of gratitude because we weren't sure if this was going to continue to spread upward, Mm -hmm. affect my my lungs, my, my respiratory system. I didn't know if I was gonna have to be put on a ventilator. I didn't know if it was gonna travel to my brain. And what's interesting after many tests and exploratory surgery, doctors finally told us that it was an AVM, an arterial venous malformation. But again, talking like it was a spinal stroke, And they said I was the 12th documented case ever. And out of the 11 cases before mine, seven of those malformations, seven of those strokes had occurred in the brain and went down. And they proceeded to tell me that those people never lived. So hence the reason I moved quickly to a place of gratitude, no matter what had happened to me, but- What, what's interesting is that, and I think this is what you were getting to Charlene. And I went off on my own journey. See that happens during school trips from time to time. You you remember how everyone's looking at that artwork and you're all supposed to stay together, but yet you have that kid who wanders off because he sees something that that's me. And that's me with regards to your question as well. But so it didn't hit me at first. It did not hit me at first. And there are some people, Charlene, who, who, you know what, this, devastates them right away to the point where unfortunately and uh, people take their lives that's how debilitating it can be that's how quickly it can enter our mental state and then there are others who it affects them much later on in life and sometimes never and i don't know whether it's humor i don't know whether it's just a fear of going there but i know now see what i love to do is rewind the tape of my life and i could take myself back and wonder why that didn't affect that 15 year old kid and I remember there laying in a hospital bed very early on the first few hours, the first day, the first couple of days, and having my bed surrounded by family and friends, just wondering if I was going to be okay. And I remember looking into every set of eyes, beginning with my mother, my father, and my brother, and seeing about the size of golf balls with tears in them. And I know not consciously, I don't remember doing this consciously, but subconsciously, I know that I said, all that pain you're experiencing is far greater than I can be experiencing. So I shut everything down that I was absolutely had every single reason, every single right to feel. And you would think I would feel. I shut that down. And on some level, I said, I I have to show all these people that I'm okay. So I put this fake smile on my face and I let them know that this was, which I did on some level. I thought it was temporary. Like I was sick. And just as quickly as this entered my body, it was going to exit my body. I didn't have an accident or an injury, so I didn't think of any kind of permanence. And I still don't think of any kind of permanence. But it was just interesting how it was not until many years later that I went around to that backpack and I said, you know what, see what that 15-year-old kid has to say. And among other things that had gone on in his life and give him permission to feel everything that you can imagine a 15-year-old who's told he never will walk again, never will move from his waist down to his toes. Every single permission he had to feel is that I lied myself. And that included grieving over what had happened to that 15-year-old boy. Do
0: you think you were on survival mode? Or- oh, yeah.
1: What is absolutely, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I absolutely believe when something traumatic like that happens and we don't go to that real dark place in our mind where we feel that we're all alone, that no one understands. I absolutely believe, Charlene, that we all have access to hope, Mm -hmm. access to that strength to move on. But I just feel, and in no judgment, that there's some people who can't access it quick enough. And so there's that despair, there's that that I, I can't get there. And that's why I absolutely believe that like people take their lives. I've had people in my life who have taken their lives. And I think if there was any moment that any of these people thought what this could do to a loved one, what this could do to a mother in their lives or whomever a friend is that they wouldn't do it. And I think that many people get there, but I don't, I think there's some people who don't feel what that effect could have on other people Mm -hmm. and just feel that there is absolutely no way out. I want this pain to end. And this is the way I'm going to go. And so while there's a part of me that's just, I I, I cringe and I just feel so horrible for these people that they had to reach that level of desperation. Also in a place of understanding how dark and how bleak. I was just talking the other day to a group of people about this in terms of, I think everybody at some stage in their life says, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to check out. And yeah, did I have every excuse myself and what happened to me and what had been taken from my life? Absolutely. And I'm no better than that person who has taken his or her life. I'm not. I just had an opportunity to access that hope and and to create what you call um, survival mode and and to access that path quick enough. Again, I absolutely unequivocally believe that everyone has that survival mechanism inside of them, um, has access to hope, access to moving forward with their lives but unfortunately they're not able to access that blueprint and steer them in the right direction
0: you know what i just thought maybe hope isn't part of survival maybe it's and i believe in the higher self it's like that is where your higher self was operating and maybe you wanted your legs back Mm. but maybe what your higher hope was that you lived a full life and functioning and move around type of that unprecedented
1: future that you So, But Charlene, I, I, whole, I wholeheartedly agree with you and I believe in a higher self and I'm just- But you're not even capable discussion. of what if What if there's someone who doesn't believe in a higher self for whatever yeah. their path is and everything is that, so then you remove that from the equation. So then what else is there to- now I and again, there? I, I'm sorry? I
0: know, I know in your work, what is there when somebody is- and I, when I talk about higher self, I don't mean religion or God. Right, right. 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 But what have you and I know you work with a lot of people. There's people who are religious, spiritual or whatever. They have this idea of something that's more than them. Have you ever dealt with maybe someone who is ag- agnostic or atheist
1: or something? Plenty of people. Plenty of people. And, and I don't even that- know
0: if you are it, I never talk spiritually and I don't do that that much with people religiously or anything.
1: Right. But what is that like? it's just a challenge. It's it it is for me, it's a challenge because I grew up and I have no problem discussing real quick. I grew up Protestant when I got confirmed from the church is that I, I ran, I was given a choice to stay with the church or move away. I couldn't run faster away from the church because it was something that was kind of like commanded on me. And I, like I, I had to do rather than necessarily wanting to do, I still believe to this day in God. I pray to God every day. I just don't align. I've studied the world's religions and I'm in a place is that if you treat yourself with respect and treat others with respect, I don't care how you find it. If you find it through religion, if you don't find it with religion, but I do believe in a higher power and that's what works for me. But I also understand that I don't push that on anyone. If someone wants me to share my journey and so forth with them and they say, wow, I like that. I'd like to follow that philosophy. That's fine, but I'm not one to to push my feelings or beliefs, not even on my family members. I mean, they can do what they want to do, but I want them to explore and, and find that level of comfort. But when you find someone who's agnostic or something like this, it's intriguing. So I still just come around to the place of that one title that I believe we all came into this world with, and that's human being. And so I connect with the human being who's filled with emotions, who's filled with different things and hopes and aspirations and dreams and defeats and all those other things, and just try to, as much as possible, so we're coming around to what we were discussing in the beginning, understanding someone's story. And I find that the more that I listen to someone's story, I might not be able to say, wow, you, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I can relate on some level, but I can move to a place of how to could I arrive at that place? If this lined up this way in my life, if this lined up this way, if this happened in my childhood, if this, that, could I too have that same philosophy, whether it's a disbelief in something or a belief in something. And I always come around to saying, yeah, do I necessarily agree with it? Subscribe to it? Want to follow that path? No, but I realize that's the unique path of the person that I'm talking to and what I try to do more than ever through empathy is try to put myself in that person's shoes and understand as much as possible, as much as another human being can of what someone else is going through.
0: Yes. And, you know, I just thought, how about our inner strength? And it's sometimes our strength comes from our weakness, from our vulnerability, from whatever. So I say, higher self. It could be your inner strength, your inner self, the whole, the whatever comes through you and it's be honored. Right. It should, but you know, I would it, like it to be honored. It's like celebrate life and honor all paths, whatever way it. you go.
1: I love I it. I honor and, it. And Charlie, so what we do, like when my work, when I'm coaching or I'm speaking to people is that I love to identify those moments. So talking about our stories, those moments where you demonstrated strength, that moment you demonstrated courage and finding out because we all have them. I don't care where you are in your life right now. You're still living, you're still breathing. You've had trials and tribulations. You've had times in which you said, I don't think I can do this, but you did it anyway. And you have had moments in which you said, If this is possible, anything is possible. You might not be feeling that in the moment if you're experiencing something that's really challenging in your life, but you've had moments. And sometimes it's when you were a little kid and you didn't think so much. You just were just in the moment and you were just like, whatever. I, I still find it fascinating, like that kid who could fall down like, Cut his knee, cut his elbow, cut his nose—whatever it may be. Who's crying in that moment? Who's crying? It just feels like the end of the world, but looks up and sees this butterfly flying by. <laughs> hey, what's going? On? Like, isn't that awesome? How much like a kid's in the moment, and yeah. almost like like a, a, they ignore the pain and they move on. And it's almost like there, there's something that happens as we get older, how we we move away from this in some ways. And we operate more from here, in which in some ways, I think we kind of like cut off our emotions or we suppress them more. But there's something to be said for that innocent kid who could be screaming in so much pain and sadness in one moment, but yet just be in the next breath full of so much wonder and intrigue and exploration.
0: Yeah. And so I always
1: try to access that little kid and everything because that, that's the person. But getting back to some people's stories. Oh, can that, I
0: just say one thing? Yeah, please. We're please. on audio. And Scott, when he said, when we can get into this, he rubbed his chest yeah, by I'm his sorry. heart. So, and so that's what he said. Oh, when you can get into this. So, everybody, just rub your heart right now. Just circulate it.
1: Oh, a little lower. Sorry. There a we go. A little lower.
0: <laughs> and um, just. Just be in your heart right now and listen. It's just such a beautiful space in your heart. And okay, go ahead. I didn't mean to take this little heart moment. <laughs>
1: oh, no, 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 It's it's not always easy. And you know this, Charlene, in your work is that to find out exactly where a person is. So it's it's wanting to help them create that space to give them permission to feel. I, I think that's the biggest thing is to give people, including ourselves, first and foremost, ourselves, permission to feel whatever it is that we're feeling. So -hmm. if you're angry in a moment, if you're sad in a moment, if you're happy in a moment, give yourself permission to feel that, but also understand that this is a moment. So if it's a challenging moment that you're having is that give yourself permission to feel all those, but also understand that after a certain period of time goes by is that no, no, I don't have to experience this moment. So what I love doing is finding out what's the polar opposite. So and I had this with an audience member recently who uh, was telling me how upset they were with what was going on in their life. And they were sad. And I was like, OK, tell me one thing that makes you happy. And they're like, huh? It's like, tell me one thing that makes you happy. He said walking my dog in the park. So I was like, oh, that's great. I was like, when was the last time you did that? Um, I, I don't know. And I was like, I want you to do me a favor. Gave him my um, cell phone number. I want you to text me. And you have all these audience members who know you, too, is that I want you to tell them, too, is that you are going to do this by the end of the day today. And he ended up texting me and he actually felt great. Now, was there any guarantee of that he was going to feel better? No. But what he ended up doing is that so if you're sad, the polar opposite is happy. What's one thing that makes me happy? Go and do that. So you end up moving away from the sadness And moving more into possibly what makes you happy in that moment that could lead to other things, nothing that's guaranteed, but you have moved away from the sadness. But I think it's always important, but he was already feeling that, to feel your feelings. But understand that it's a moment. It's a moment. And after a certain period of time, you can choose to continue to feel that in that moment, or you can choose to feel otherwise. Yes.
0: And sometimes when people are feeling sad or grieving or they made a mistake, they take on the mistake or sadness or grief as they are the grief. They are the sadness. They are the mistakes. You are, feel, you are feeling or experiencing these feelings, the grief, the sadness, the mistake or off the mark thing you did. So remember, you are not that. You are experiencing those moments, like you said. And also, I think about what you said. Did you ever have moments where you had to do contrary action? Like when you're doing physical therapy or when you have to build up your upper body or just decide to live, right? You could lay there and think that way. Okay, I can do it. But actually doing it. Did you ever have experience where you had to do contrary action? And I'm saying for the griever or people who are grieving some unexpected changes and all that, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, that how contrary action has helped you. Like maybe you're like, F off. I'm not getting out of this bed. I'm not going to do that.
1: But you did it. Uh, that's year. what my dogs do. My dogs tell me to F off right now. So uh, <laughs> he's probably enough. No, but absolutely. There's always that part of you that has that contrary. I've never heard that term before, but contrary action as to um, what it is that you're going to be doing in your life. But absolutely. And yes, through physical therapy, through different instances in my life. And I I realized that that that's part of the journey too. But those contrary actions, they serve us. They serve us whatever is going on in our lives. So you might say, hey, you know what? I don't want to feel this way, or I want to change this. While I get all that, understand that whatever it is that you're feeling, thinking, believing, acting, it's also serving you. And this gets me back to the comfort zone is that uh, until you experience enough pain, which again, will force you to make a change at some level, and we all have different thresholds for pain, is that, wow, we have to dive into How is this experience serving me? So Shirley, I bring up the example right now. So I'm coming up this December on 37 years of being paralyzed. I will tell you right now is that paralysis, sitting in this wheelchair, being paralyzed, unable to move, linked up in my mind, my consciousness, subconsciousness, whatever it may be. I absolutely know that paralysis is serving me more than it's costing me. Based on where I am in my life right now. Because I believe if the opposite were true and I work on it each and every day, I would rise and walk away from this wheelchair. And so this isn't to judge myself or to judge anyone else. It's really just to examine our lives. Because so many times when people say they want to change, I want to change. And like they'll tell me all the reasons. I I, want to do this and I want to do this. I get all this, but tell me the situation you're in right now, how it's serving you how it's serving you, how it's formed part of your comfort zone. So you might say, there's a comfort zone with paralysis? Yeah, I wake up every day to a wheelchair. I know how to get in that wheelchair. I know how how long it takes me to get dressed. I know basically what I can and can't do to a certain degree. I know what getting around in a wheelchair, traveling in a van, driving with hand controls. I've been paralyzed since I was 15 years old. I never knew how it was to drive with my feet. So all these things wrapped up Say, yeah, I mean, is there a lot of discomfort and some pain? Absolutely. And are there a lot of like, almost like blessings in disguise? Absolutely. So there's that part of me that wants to say, okay, Scott, not if, but when you walk again, all those things that you created or that have been created in your comfort zone of being paralyzed, they're going to come with you when you stand and walk again, but just in a much healthier, more beneficial, more effective manner. So that's what I constantly have to remind myself of. But folks, I'm telling you, not just with paralysis, obviously, but with anything that's going in our lives, I'm going to challenge everyone who's listening to this. You know what? There's a cost and payoff to everything Mm -hmm. in our lives. And whatever's going on in our lives right now, I am letting you know if it's continuing good, bad, or indifferent, there's more of a payoff that you have linked to it. So it's serving you more than it's costing you. But we got to get around to the cost, what it's costing you, but also in some ways, how the payoffs are. You can write these down. You can do it on a relationship. You can do this, whatever it may be is going on in your life. And yeah, it's exhausting. like a list. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
0: No, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, I'm
1: done. I'm done. Oh,
0: okay. Um, and relationships, you're staying in a bad relationship, right? Because I started with the relationship, right? The story. And when you finally get to it, like it's a great exercise you're talking about putting in what they used to say, pros and cons, what's it costing? And what am I paying
1: for it? Right. Right. And work on the list. Don't like, don't, it's not something that's to get done. Like immediately, give yourself a few days, give yourself a week and keep adding to that list. And you'll realize is that a lot of things you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize how much like this is really, in many cases it's serving me. And, and so you might say, well, why don't we want to get around to all the costs too? Because that's scary. That's painful stuff. That's stuff that, you know what, we might address it a little bit on the surface, but when we dive deep into it, that's some serious stuff which yeah. cost me. And I know that with paralysis, I know that if I thought about all the things that I may have missed out on and really dive deep into the last 37 years. And what that means for different milestones in my life and where like you could have say I, I, I could have been or I should have been. I mean, you look at all that, you could say, wow, you know what? Yeah, there was a lot that was missed. But I know where my focus goes is that I have an amazing life like in this wheelchair right now. And I don't know if I would have ever met my wife had she not been in my audience in which I was speaking and would I've been speaking if I hadn't become paralyzed and asked to share my story. So all these things just kind of are that cost and payoff and balancing.
0: And you brought meaning to it. You brought meaning like after the fact, like, oh, I met my wife. Now, why was she there? Well, how was she in the audience? Like, how, why is she in the audience? I wasn't, you know, that. Mystical, whatever it is, yeah, that fate. I believe in this some semblance of fate. Absolutely. Why was she there?
1: Oh, she's a physical therapy student. So this was a uh, physical therapy convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and she actually had five different seminars she could go to or presentations she could go to. So her exact words were to her friends who are also physical therapy students: "Was no joke. Let's see what this poor pathetic guy in a wheelchair has to say." <laughs> no joke. So they came into my presentation. I'm not joking. And so she's there and she's looking, I'm introduced. I come out on stage, Charlie, I'm not joking, come out on stage. And I look at, there's about 500 people out there. I look out of my audience and all of a sudden I just see her and I'm like, 10 seconds goes by, 20 seconds goes by, 30 seconds. If you were to see people, they were going through like their prospectus or their um, agenda And seeing where all of our bios were, wondering if I probably had a mental disability, too. Like, we'll give him a little bit of time to warm up. Person who introduced me basically is like, Scott, you're on. All of a sudden, I regained my composure. I started talking. And she said it was like just a couple minutes into my presentation. She tapped her friend on the shoulder and said, I don't know who that man is, but that's the man I'm going to marry and spend the rest of my life with. So exactly two years from the day that we met, we were married. And again, I, but I, but I don't, I don't, that's the thing that's where, and it's so much lined with grief. Cause I know that's what we talk about here is that I know that every single choice, every single experience, every single event in my life has led me up to you doing what I love most, talking to people, trying to help them with their lives, trying to be a servant leader. That's what I try to do in my life. So as a part of me now, is it that trajectory that we think of that's constantly going up and we're growing and we're evolving? No, let me get back to that little kid who bumped his knee and is chasing that butterfly around. He scribbles all over the place. That's my life path. It's all over the place. It can't make sense. And no one could duplicate that artwork. But I know, and that's why I own it all. Every single thing has led me up to this very moment. And so I want to challenge everyone to just own it. Own it all. Own the trials, own the tribulations, the pain, the the success, the failures, all of it, because it has shaped you to who you are. And so much a part of this is, is grief. Is grief. So if I were going to ask you, Charlene, right now, because this is again, and I didn't think of it until now, is that what would you say is the complete opposite of grief?
0: Grief, I would say, oh, my God, the graph is about loss is gain, you know, appreciating what you have. There's loss and then there's gain. Yeah. It's in the grief. What have you gained? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's great. what a great question. But and maybe... looking
1: at both of those, like, yeah, you know, what have I grieved over and what have I learned from those experiences and, and, and the, the gaining and the achievements and the celebrations and everything, and knowing that one wouldn't exist without the other. It's like, how would we know success if we didn't know failure? How would we know pleasure if we didn't know pain? How would we know light if we didn't know darkness? Now, when I tell people, I was like, listen, don't go out there looking for grief. Don't go out there looking for failure. It will find you. But just understanding when it comes, feel those feelings, but then understanding, whoa, okay, what's the message here? How can I grow and learn from this experience?
0: That's it. All I say is feel what you're feeling and experiencing. Just don't go down the rabbit hole. Right. There's a myth. Some people, like we grow up certain myths about death and loss. We don't talk about it. And I remember one thing I learned in the grief recovery world is that we are taught how to gain or to get, not how to lose.
1: Mm, I, love that. And, I love that.
0: And it's not like you lost a game or you're the loser. It's like, what happened? And life is full of gains and loss. There's some people who never get out of loss and they think that's who they are and they don't have lives that work.
1: Well, you brought up, Charlene, you brought up before an interesting word that just catapults what you just said is that uh, dwell. So I always believe that when we're dwelling on something, we're spending too much time in the past. That's why there's a lot of people who are depressed and not to judge people, but people who are depressed are spending too much time in the past. I always say there's only one thing that we can do with the past is learn from it. We can't change it. We can't do anything. We can't go back in time, no matter how hard we change try to change our lives or try to change someone else we can't change we can't change what we said five minutes ago on the show we can't change how we started the show we cannot all we can do is learn from it so that's on one end of the spectrum that's that's the past then we have we talk about anxiety So when we're spending too much time in the past is that we're dwelling on things that have happened, things that we can't change. We can't go back in time. We can't change them, but we continue to dwell. That usually leads to depression. So if someone's depressed and I'm not here to judge anyone, is that more than likely um, I'm going to say you are spending too much time in the past and rather it's trying to change something that you can't change, but spending too much time there. And then conversely, there's a lot of people who are filled with a lot of anxiety And are just too consumed about the future in which you can plan, you can strategize, but you really can't control that too much either. So again, anxiety and depression, two things that we talk about widely is that, so how do we avoid either one? We do what we can to be in the moment. So when we're in the moment is that that helps us to manage and possibly learn from the past. And that's the approach that we take. It helps us to prioritize and strategize for the future, but we're not spending too much time in the past or the future. We're cherishing this where relationships are built, but this is where we can truly feel our feelings too, is that when we're in the moment and giving ourselves permission to feel what it is that we're feeling in this moment.
0: Yes. Honoring it. And I love what you say, what, do you, can, what do you, can you learn from this experience? And I just, what popped in my mind, people say, and I'm going to be crude here. They go, you know what I learned? You can't trust anybody. Mm. You know what I learned? That everybody's a jerk, you know, especially when you're dealing in relationships. Right. How do you get it where there's a higher purpose in your own growth? Yeah. Maybe it could be at the time has come, I need to step away from this
1: relationship. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What
0: are you pulled for your future? Yeah. Not like why they're wrong. Just say this does not work for me. It's not for my highest good. It's either dangerous emotionally, physically, um, to my life. And you get what I mean, right? That's be-
1: No, that's beautiful. I, I mean, you could say, let's say you mentioned like a relationship, is that you could say and you could actually be a hundred percent accurate with this and saying, you know what, that person is 95% to blame for this relationship ending in which everybody and their mother might agree with you on that. Can't control that. Work on the 5% that you've brought to the table. That might still be going on. The thing is, you won't be plugging into it anymore. You have moved on. That's why I, I have a lot of coaching clients too. And they'll tell me is that, you know what? Yeah, I had a terrible relationship and everything. So I'm like, well, as long as you're being coached by me, stay at like out of relationships. I want you to get in better relationship with yourself. Uh, I've had a few over the years. It was like, no, no, no. I, I met this great guy. Like well, we're a few sessions into it. And I was like, no, no, no. You told me you weren't going to. No, he's nothing like that person that I met. And so I'm like thinking to myself, wow, you know what? Okay. This is an experience that they have to have. And usually within a week, couple weeks, few more sessions, they're like, Scott, what happened? And I'm just like, because you didn't resolve the issue. You were so busy playing the blame game of that re- last relationship. You weren't owning what you were bringing to the table. So while you met a person who you perceived to be very different in many ways, all of a sudden, all that stuff just came to the surface that was still rooted there that you hadn't resolved. So I was like, you got to understand what you're bringing to the table, what your dynamic is, and not to beat yourself up on it, but just to resolve it and wish the other person the best, but knowing full well, can't control them. You can only control your own feelings, thoughts and actions and And
0: your feelings, thoughts and actions. You're vibrating in a certain way in the world. I believe in energy. And if you're vibrating in the same way, who are you going to attract? The same person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And circumstances. Why am I being fired all the time? Why am I losing this relationship? And while there's grief, you know, this episode isn't about death, but maybe it's the death of old beliefs
1: Mm.
0: and um, and learn some new ones that are more serving to you. We want you to feel. And I know what do they call you? The what is that? The CEO, the commander in change. This is about changing, shifting. The inner work goes and the outer work will take care of itself. And you can't do it alone. Yep. You think yep. you can. You cannot marinate in your own knowledge and in your own feeling space and how you always operated. Learn from others. Make yourself your own little science experiment. See, we're on a field like, trip again. I love yeah, it. we're on a field <laughs> trip. <laughs> but anyways, I, I want to end this because we're, we're going over a little bit. How was your family through this? I know you you got married and she knew you this way, yep. but she also probably never has been with someone like you who had to navigate through that or your parents. Yep. Had, did they shift with you? I, I couldn't even imagine a parent seeing their beloved son, having the stroke that you had and being in a wheelchair. How's everybody doing? I know they were sad. They're grieving the loss of... Son, they knew and scared out of their minds that, like you, some of the fears you had. How's everybody now with this?
1: Well, I will say, well, my father passed away in 94. So, mm-hmm. um, my father, uh, about, I guess, says this was 85 that it happened in 94. So, nine years is that um, he, he struggled. I mean, he was an athlete himself, and to watch his son and knowing full well that I can't control this. I think what had happened is that my, my parents had been, they were awesome uh, and my mom's still alive and um, best support system. They got me to the best hospital, the best rehab center, but it wasn't like my son was out there and either he was negligent and drinking and driving and or did something that he had an accident or an injury. This was something that they were told was congenital. So mom and dad, even though you wouldn't wish this upon your worst enemy, there was no one to blame. So they blamed themselves. Like we made you and this happened. And it was just, again, their way of grieving. So we all find, try to find a way to make sense of things and grieve. So for them, it was like really taken on. And I know even to this day is that there's that part of my mom that's so proud of me and she loves me unconditionally. But she still knows that, hey, that 15-year-old kid who was so much about movement and had so much to look forward to with regards to sports and a life of movement, that was taken from him unfairly. And so I I know, and what's interesting is that I've always tried to comfort her, but it wasn't until I had my own children that I really understood what it is that she was feeling. And then trying to comfort others who had people who are either newly paralyzed or disabled and so forth. And just realizing that now that I have my, like, wow, I, I I just can't imagine it. I'm hoping again that I would have the strength, that I would have the courage, that I would have the foresight to do whatever I could to provide a life and comfort them but I don't know. I, I I I I can only wish. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, wow, you're, you're so strong. And like, did you think you could handle it? If you asked me like a month before this happened to me, I would have been like, no, there's no way if you paralyze me and like, I can't do all this. But again, when something happens, I absolutely, we have the power within us. We have access to a blueprint. We have the opportunity to not only survive, but we have the opportunity to thrive in the face of anything that occurs in our lives.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And on that note, quickly, can you tell us a little bit about how people can reach you? I know you had the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation you work with, you're coaching, you're speaking all over the world. Tell us a little bit about that. We'll have all the links that you provided with
1: to us in the notes. Absolutely. I, again, I'm all over social media, but all my social media handles can be found at my website. So it's uh, www.scottchesney, so myname.com. So however you want to reach me, get in touch with me, follow me, whatever it may be, you can find everything there. Right.
0: Well, thank you so much. It was such an honor to have you and you're such a delight. Thank you. From thank the bottom you, of my heart.
1: This is a wonderful opportunity continue to do your uh, great work with everyone.
0: Okay. Thank you. Hey, and everyone who's listening, I hope you got something out of this. This is for you. And if you know of anybody who would appreciate this, please share it with them. This is important stuff. At least it is to me. It just touches me every time. I may not relate to what he's going through. I know my own handicaps in life. You know, take a look. What did you get out of this? I mean, maybe a friend, as I said, may appreciate it. Somebody who's going through a physical challenge that surprised them and sudden change in their life. So welcome to share it. I would love it. Please rate and review the podcast. One of my favorites is Apple, but we're on all the podcast platforms. Okay, everybody, peace and love and hope. See you later. Bye. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts and we'll keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash grms forward slash Charlene Dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.